We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. Welcome to the other side of hell. We are here again to yeah. do a show. It's good to see you. How are you feeling? I like your shirt. Your, Thanks. Your Valor Fitness Sober AF shirt. We like so many people in Valor Fitness. Yeah. One. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to be here. Jordan's back there. Doing his thing. Doing his thing. Ryland's at work. So we're, we're back. We're no dog today. We're back again. We want to talk about some cool shit today. Yeah. We have oh. been missing you guys. We had a, a really awesome, pretty intense, pretty heavy bottom, pretty low bottom drunk war story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this one. a little bit of everything in yeah, there. Yeah, but something came out of it. Mm-hmm. And I hope this episode turns out well as well. I have hope that it will. Me too. <laughs> Tim. Tim, yeah, our boy Tim. I um, talked to Tim. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was he's all. He's all over the place. Amazing story. Yeah. Um. And uh, and we were able to pull a pretty good topic out of it. We want to talk today about the importance of hope. Yeah. Um, Something t- I don't know if any of us would be here without. No, but I think that there's a lot of things around hope that are just really interesting to discuss and think about. And and uh, I mean, I know you know at first there's none. Right, and then we get hope, and then our hope evolves. Yeah. Right. We we were kind of talking about the timeline of hope. Yeah. And how it changes, and and hope becomes reality and truth, and and then and then we spread yeah. hope. So it's interesting, Willie. Do you yeah. remember like the first instance that you had like a glimpse of hope in recovery? Uh. Oh, in recovery? Because I'm, I'm going way back. I mean, you can go as far back you know, as you want. The more you talk... Just don't, the, just the don't further, talk too much. The, further, the more you talk, the further back I go. But and, and I think I've actually shared about it before on the on the show, but I can't remember. I, and I know that my wife has had this experience, and you may have had this experience, but when I was a little kid, we used to get in the mail JCPenney's catalogs. Did you ever get J.C. Penney's catalogs? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Why? I mean, there were nude women in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they. I don't had, remember that. But. They had bras and panties, but yes, I got the <laughs> J.C. Penney catalog. It's just that nobody else in the house ever saw it. <laughs> as soon as I got it. Well, I like I. There was there was always these bedrooms that were set up, and like I would look at the pictures of these, and I, I remember like having this extreme hope that I could have that someday. Mm. You know, this this wanting for something more than what I had at the time, and 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 I think that's pretty that want. I don't know if that want is hope or, but I would ask my parents for something, or I would write Santa Claus a letter, or I would ask a girl out, and then in true alcoholic nature, I would obsess over mm. the outcome. Sure. Right. And, and, uh, the weird thing about what I'm talking about is like learning, learning to get past that, that insanity of, of in and out belief. Like, you know, when it came to like the, um, 
the catalog, wanting something out of that, or dating a girl, or even getting the dope, like hoping that the dope would show up. There was always this this up and down fluctuation of like, man, I I get really excited thinking about how that thing's going to make me feel and how it's going to fulfill my life and how everything's going to be better once I get it. And then this doubt would creep in behind it and go, oh, yeah, you're never going to get that. It's not going to happen. She doesn't like you. It's not going to show up. Mm. And then it would go back. Well, she, well, maybe it will. Maybe she will. Maybe it'll work this time up and down and up and down. And and I think somewhere in the middle of all that, especially through active addiction and just the letdown of, of like the, the not like it not showing up time and time again, the hope being dismantled and, and broken down mm-hmm. over a period of time. I learned to just not even attempt to feel hope like like if any hope would come in i would just shut it down right it was better for me to just live in pessimism than than optimism all the time like all oh, the worst possible scenario everything everything's the worst possible scenario and the, and the higher i got the worse i got you know the the idea of getting sober went further and further from my mind but well then you never have to be disappointed right but but i was yeah well right? of course you know because even in my darkest hour, uh, the fact that I'm still here just goes to prove that there was still hope. And, and maybe sometimes it wasn't my own, you know, maybe it was my mother's hope that I would come around or, or, you know, in, in a lot of recovery settings, you know, we have a moment of silence for the addict that still suffers. And, and maybe it was that hope hmm. that, that carried me through those times when I didn't have my own. But as far as, as far as recovery goes, uh, you know, having that hope that sobriety was real probably came around the writing of my first step around hmm. almost 11 years ago. You think it was just taking that first action or yeah. because yeah, like, like coming out of coming out of jail, like I did last time and, and using again mm-hmm. with, with fucking knowing that like if, if I, if I, if I use, I'm going to prison breaking my probation like if i use there's not going to be any hope and i used anyway yeah and and i had a conversation with an alcoholic and we started working the steps of aa and and i think maybe his hope gave me hope but taking the action that needed to be taken and doing something physically yeah and writing down something yeah like, like doing something yeah for my recovery I guess made me feel like, uh, you know, maybe this will, well, it's good that you mentioned like hope in action because you know, when we, what we write down in a first step isn't necessarily hopeful, right? It's more like acceptance. (laughs) It's more like looking at all this evidence of the fact that we have a disease. It's like, okay, so clearly there's a problem. Yeah. It's not really like one thing that will, that will give us hope but there's hope in the action. Okay. I'm finally doing something. Yeah. I'm finally like, you know, listening and taking other people's advice and, and, uh, and putting pen to paper and, and really analyzing the way that I'm, I'm currently living my life. And I think that, um, it's great that you mentioned hope in action because that's, that's something I wouldn't have thought of, you know, it's like hope does come from a lot of the actions that we take. Yeah. And I think for me, like, one of the first instances I think I felt hope was, you know, somewhere in a treatment center 
I'm in a treatment center and I think I didn't realize how actually hopeless I was. Mm. Like I had to first really think that I was hopeless, that I had to first see that, okay, I'm in rehab. Okay. I mean, I'm in rehab. I never thought I'd be here in rehab and here I am. (laughs) I'm here for a reason because I, I keep trying to drink or I keep, trying to drink successfully and I can't seem to do it. And every time that I take a drink, bad things happen and and my life is in shambles. So, okay. 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 I'm hopeless. Right. Okay. (laughs) Clearly I have no hope. Right. Um, and then somewhere where you meet people that have been where you are and you see where they are now, it's like, Oh, but you have to first, like I had to first like believe and identify with them as individuals. I had to believe that the problems that I have are the problems that they had. And if they can do it, I can do it. And I think that that was a process for me. It it wasn't something that I did overnight. I had to go back out. I had to, you know, just go through a little more shit, having had that knowledge in my mind and, and been fed that information and then come back in and say, okay, I am like you and you are like me and you have been through what I have been through and you are now on the other side of that. And to look at the way you live your life today, um, is pretty amazing. So maybe, maybe I can do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We get a hope from other people for sure. Yeah. For sure. Watching their action. For sure. Yeah. Great point. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that, uh, that we, that we were talking about is like, what's the difference between like hope and faith? Yeah. Yeah. What is the difference between hope and faith? And, and I mean, I've, I've traveled down that road of, of understanding for a long time, man, because I want to know myself well, I want to know what these things mean to me. Mm hmm. You know, so that I can I can explain them to other people of of what it means to me. So what does faith mean to me? What is what does hope mean to me? And and faith is a weird thing because if I have evidence that something is real, I don't need faith. And and a good good example of that is a lot of people and and I've heard this argument before is like, well, do you think that the sun is going to rise tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And Mm-hmm. And when I say yes, then they go, well, you have faith. And I go, well, not necessarily. I have like, you know, 43 years of the sun coming up mm-hmm. every day. So I don't know that I have faith in that. I have pretty overwhelming evidence that it's going to happen. Now, when it comes to faith in, uh, you know, the, the, the relief that comes from surrender or the relief that came mm-hmm. from drinking... You know, I, man, I didn't, I didn't get relief from drinking and using for quite a while in the end. It was just, it was just oblivion, right? But, but every time I cracked the bottle and every time I walked through the the doors of the bar and every time I entered the crack house and every time I scored the dope, there was this, I, I, I guess it was hope that the relief would come. And there was enough faith that I kept doing it. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. even though the evidence wasn't there. Even though, even though your faith was misfounded. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I guess maybe that's kind of the same thing was, was I, I ended up going to treatment when I was 24. I accidentally stayed sober for three years, um, hoping that uh, I could figure out a way to stay sober without doing the, all the work, right. um, keeping some things in the dark, kind of kind of taking my own path with what the suggested um, recovery out, you know, the recovery process looked like in a 12-step group. I ended up relapsing, and I kept going to meetings. I kept going to meetings. and Why do you think you did that? I, I, I don't think I had anywhere else to go, mm. right? So at that point, you're, you're going to meetings, but you're not going to meetings, like, hoping that you'll still get sober, are you? Or I think so. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe so. You're like, maybe I'll go and it will all turn around. Because uh, I, cause I did. Right? Did you lie? And, and oh, yeah. Yeah, see? <laughs> right. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. I lied all the time. But, I mean, but the thing of it is, is, like, when I, when I finally came back around this last time, um, I knew where to go. And I guess I had enough faith to walk through the door and enough hope that it would work for me. Right. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe faith is the action. No, hope is the action and faith is the belief. Yeah. I think, I I think hope is, is, um, is the idea that something can happen and faith is the belief that it will. Okay. Right. So like if I have hope that I can get sober, I hope that, that it can actually happen and faith is belief that it will. Okay. That's, I mean, that's how I, I, I think of it. And I think, you know, as we go down the path, like we can have faith that it will work based on the actions that we're taking. And then we see it working and we're successful in it because of the actions that we're taking. And, and after so long, I think that that faith kind of, transforms into truth and now like the truth is we are sober yeah because we took the actions that we've taken and we continue to take those actions so you know the truth today is that i'm sober and i have faith that if i do the same things that i have always done that tomorrow i'll be sober too right right yeah um and hope like we were kind of talking about this a little bit like we don't have much hope you know, there isn't much hope for sobriety anymore. No. Because we have it. It's, it's a reality. Yeah, it's actually, it's truth now. Yeah. Um, but we, now we have hope that we can share. Yeah, and ho- hope for the newcomer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So I'll shovel my hope and, and dish it out to the newcomer. Right. And say, hey, guy. Like if I can do it, you can do it. And this is how I continue to do it. And this is the truth today. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like a, it's like a hope tree, right? Like, like in Ooh, the be- a hope tree. Yeah. It's like almost like in the beginning we planted this seed or someone planted a seed of hope in us and, and that has grown. And now that hope is bearing fruit and we can, Ooh. and we can pull, we'll make a fruit salad, <laughs> make a hope salad, a hope, salad. A hope pie. Yeah. We can make a hope pie and, and we can feed it to the new guy and share our hope pie. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that's what keeps us alive is, 
is that even though we don't know what something different is going to look like, there's something inside of us that, that wants a change from where we're at. And, and it's hard to dial that in, but it's, it's hope, right? Mm -hmm. It's hope that, that, uh, even though I'm fucking on this dirty mattress with these people that I don't know, and I'm looking around me and I, and I see the dis-ease in the room and I can fucking smell how just sick we all are through the whole thing. There's something inside of me that, that knows it's not going to be like this forever mm. or mm -hmm. some, you know, to, to that effect, you know, Tim, Tim describes it really well in, in his story when he's, when he's talking about, you know, shutting his phone off for, for two days and then just crying about the end, mm -hmm. you know, that, that rock bottom when we're on that rock bottom and we look at the hole that we've dug and for some reason we think it's possible to get out. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling that's hard to explain. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, drawing from my own experience and sort of relating and identifying with what Tim has to say in his is, you know, I, I got to a point where I had to have hope that I could get better or I was going to die. I, and whether that was like through my own hand or yeah. letting the disease take me because I knew I couldn't continue to live this way. Right. Like that was the thing of it is like, I cannot, I cannot go on continuing to live this way or I will die. So the opposite of that is like, well, is there hope that I can get better? And just knowing that people do, I think was huge. Yeah. Just knowing that, that there are people who have been here and get better. Yeah. Um, is, is one of the things that, that I really needed to hold on to. Yeah. That's why I think that's why it's so important that we hold on to our past and we hold on to the way that we felt. Uh, if, if you're a non-alcoholic and you may not understand this, like, like, why do you keep going to those meetings? Why do you keep bringing up the past? Why do you keep when, when I can go into a room full of alcoholics or sit down one-on-one -on -one with another alcoholic or drug addict or someone that's trying to get sober that can't, and I can word for word identify exactly how they feel. Mm -hmm. and my experience within that and, and what brought that up. Like, like I can sit down and I can talk to a uh, 60 or 70 year old man and I can talk to that person about what it feels like to steal from your family and to hide an addiction from the people that you love. I can, and, and I can identify those things the way that, that the shame kept me away from really connecting with other people and, the way that uh, all my money was gone all the time and, and I couldn't look myself in the mirror and, and there's just this sense of impending doom everywhere that I mm. went and I didn't know what was going to happen and the drugs weren't working anymore and I can sit down with these people that are just like me that don't know they're just like me and I can I can tell them their story through my own experience. Right, right. It's so important because for me, that was the first sign, I guess, of hope that like, wow, I'm, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that's what we do here now when we're talking about sharing our experience, strength and hope with the people, you know, you guys that are listening to the story, our hope 
is that you hear something that you identify with and break down that barrier of uniqueness, right? That, that you're not alone, that you're not unique in this, that we all feel scared or saturated with darkness or shame or something to that effect. But there's a calling with inside of us that says, you know, I really want to live and I want to live for real. I don't want to just be alive and I don't know how to do it. And if we can get on this show and we can talk about this stuff, our hope is that you gain hope mm-hmm. or you're able to give this show to somebody else that needs a little bit of hope. You know, my sponsor talks about it all the time. When he first came in, they would talk about if you don't have any hope, you can borrow some of mine. And, right. And the only way that we can give that and the only way that somebody could give that to me is through them sharing their experience with me and me being there to listen to it. Um, I can make the decision to think everybody's full of shit. Yeah, I can decide that mm-hmm. or I can decide that this guy's telling me the truth. And what I want everybody to, that's listening to understand is that everything that we talk about on here is truth. Right. These are all our real experiences. And I can't even begin to really explain how grateful I am for the darkness that I went through mm-hmm. to be able to have contrast for how good my life is today. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's funny because every now and again, I'll just encounter a situation or a scenario that will remind me how much I've grown. Yeah. And because it's hard to see, like sometimes, you know, like when we're caught up in, you know, everyday life and we're just sort of going through the motions, like it's not always easy to see, especially when we continue to surround ourselves with people who foster our growth and who continue to inspire us and who, you know, are, are, are genuinely looking out for us as individuals. Um, that when we encounter people who maybe aren't, um, it's as, as sound as that, right. Yeah. Um, that it can remind us like, wow, like I, I really am like lucky that I had to go through all that. Yeah so that I have a different perspective on these situations and these scenarios that has allowed me to, um, just, you know, cut out the bullshit in my life, be grateful for a hell of a lot more and just look at things through the lens of gratitude. Um, and that is definitely not how, you know, things used to be for me. And that is yeah. something that has only happened, um, as a result of, of getting and staying sober and, yeah. and connecting with other alcoholics and connecting with, you know, a power greater than myself and, and, um, just working on that spiritual maintenance yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. How do, how does your, how does a power greater than yourself, like add to your hope, Cameron? Well, it tells me that I'm not in charge, I think is the biggest thing, right? Like it tells me that I've got to stop thinking that I'm running this show. Um, because honestly, like I think that when, when I think I'm in charge, like in, in my own situation, the way that it usually has worked for me is that, um, I will try and control something to death because I have so much fear that it's going to go a certain way yeah, and I'll sort of control it to the point where it all falls apart 
anyway. Squeeze it to death. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so of course I'm gloom and doom when that happens. Like I'm, you know, like, of course it went wrong. Like, of course it went to shit. Like I've had so many like relationships where something happened and, and, you know, I'll try and just really make that person act and behave a certain way. And then the relationship ends as a result of my craziness and my manic behavior. And then I'm left alone and then I'm the victim. Yeah. Like I did something wrong and, and, and the world is out to get me. Yeah. Um, but when I can just bring in this higher power and say, you know what, like I'm not running the show today. Like it's not, it's not on me. Like, you know, like I surrender and whatever is meant to happen will happen. And, and, and truly believe that when I say it, you know, like, and just say, you know what, like it will all be okay. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a great deal of hope and faith in that, that, that expression right there. And you know, and a lot of, you know, the longtime listeners know that, uh, the struggle for my, me and a power greater than myself has been large in my life and Mm -hmm. so for me that that power greater than myself is probably one of the greatest examples of hope for me that i walk through on a daily basis because unlike some people like there's some people that have a knowing that there's a power greater than themselves that they're connected with and that's not my experience Mm. my experience is that uh i hope i don't fuck this up with my ego and 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 like just this miss out on the opportunity to have the fullest life possible because uh i'm i'm unable to get out of the way right. of that thing right mm-hmm. and so on a daily basis uh i i hope that i'm able to uh stay willing enough to allow the possibility of a power greater than myself to work in my life whatever that may be right because my experience with um, authoritative religion put me in a position to where I had zero faith mm. in a power greater than myself. And it's something that I work through now. The hope is that I can get over completely what the word God has been in my psyche right. for so long, right? Because when the word God comes up, for me, I think of this overbearing dictator that's just out to punish me. and. And that's not what I want in my life. My hope is that I can change my opinion about the word so that I can have faith. Now, when I, when I look at, at my life today, something has definitely happened to me. I'm fucking not the same guy that I was almost 11 years ago when I got here. Right. Right. I am not. And, and it was through a process of allowing this, this, to happen to me right like I allowed it to happen through a willingness to do the work and all of it if I look back all of it is a demonstration of hope and faith that I can be better today or as we like to say in, in our little text group we're in a text group where we text a little less fuckhead today than right. I was yesterday yeah meaning I'm, I'm going to be a little less selfish with my ego and my certainty that s- things are a certain way that I can be of service to another person and hopefully make their lives better through my ability to um, 
or my willingness to fucking lay aside ego and be of service. Right. Just help out the fuck out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, Jesus. It's, it's hard. It's, 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 it's not my default. Like my default is to nag, pick and control and, and, and just fuck with things. Right. Until I get what I want. Like that's just my default. Yeah. Um, what I want never fucking works out good. Well, that's what I was going to say is like <laughs> at some point, like I come to the conclusion that that, that doesn't ever seem to work. I don't know what the fuck I want. What's good for me. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, no, like I, that's why I got to get out of the way. Yeah. I got, I have to move and just let it happen. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, that, yeah, that's, God, I hope I don't practice. mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> so far yeah I, I mean it's gotten better I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for where i'm at that's for sure mm-hmm. and, and being a parent man there there comes a whole new as you know there's a whole new level of hope in humanity and and in my ability to do the right thing man because i i now i'm you know you may i don't know now i am in charge of some little fucking time bombs that are capable of great destruction and just great humanity both like like each one of my children are all capable of incredible destruction and beyond anything that the world has ever seen because they're human and they are capable of uh, uncomprehensible love Mm -hmm. beyond anything the world has ever seen every human being is capable of those things most of us ride somewhere in the middle, but I'm in charge of trying to get them to go closer to the love side right. versus the destructive side. And, and, you know, having a, having a lifestyle like we have where we're able to take accountability for our mistakes yet still make mistakes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, be willing to try new things, go out and adventure into new experiences and, you know, try new pathways of career finances relationships with people you know our relationships are going to change we're not going to have the same friends for the rest of our lives and we can get out of those things with love and not destruction and and now these these little minds are watching me as the example and i just hope i don't mess it up right right? and i think if i stay here in the podcast on this side of the table and i listen to people like tim and yourself and jordan and, and the examples that i have and I listen to your guys's hope and your experience and what you do with other people and, and what you do with yourselves. And I follow that example. The hope is, and it's real, it's turned into like we were talking about success, right? Mm-hmm. It's turned into reality on a daily basis. I get to be the father that I hope to be right to the best of my ability. It falls mm-hmm. short sometimes, you know, uh, not very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, freak out too much and i think that's probably the biggest thing for me as a father i just i don't want to freak out yeah fucking lose my temper over some dumb shit yeah be okay with not being perfect (sighs) yeah yeah well it's funny that you said that because i'm actually reminded of a uh a um incident well it wasn't an incident but um a little while back like we were uh i had some family over and we were talking about um just the state of the country right which is always like an 
very interesting topic and you just never know like, <laughs> it's how like that's throwing tacks go. on the floor with yeah. bare feet right maybe yeah. somebody steps on one maybe not exactly and it's and, and and mind you like i'm not trying to make any sort of political statement i'm just um saying because i i actually i had uh, my nephew there i think he's 16 now and my my dad says to my nephew says well what do you think because you're the future of our country so like what 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 is your thoughts on on how it's going and as you can imagine like my dad who's more or less on his way out and he'll say that you know um upper like 60s 70s he's in his 70s you know and and he's always talking about how oh i'm I'm not gonna be here to see it yeah whatever but um you know so he's got his own ideas and 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 uh, anyway, so he says, you know, what do you think? And, and my nephew says, well, I think we just have to hope. We just have to have hope huh. that it can change, that it will get better, that, that you know, like the future generation will, will take yeah. lead. And, and I was like, what a, what a smart statement, you know, like for, for somebody like that to realize like that we can't, like that hopelessness does not serve us. Yeah. Right? Like right. the idea that, that there is nothing that can be done, um, is yeah. where we sit when we're, when we're hopeless. Yeah. We, it just spurs in action. Um, and we are more inclined to just loathe and, and live in self pity. Yeah. But hope, if we can have hope, and we can say, you know what, like maybe this doesn't have to go down that way. Like maybe there is a chance, like maybe it is possible, like, and really yeah. start, you know, questioning what we believe, um, then we are more apt to take the necessary change in order to yeah. make a difference. Yeah, you're so wise. Right. Well, I, <laughs> like I said, my 16 year old nephew, you know, is, yeah. is said it and I just, it gave me hope for our future generation to hear, to hear that. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great definition of, of hopelessness that you, that you put, you know, hopelessness is the belief that nothing can be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The belief. And it's really hard to change a belief. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It takes some action to change that, you know? And so I guess hope would be the belief that something can be done Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and nice, nice and simple, you know, something can be done. And, and that's the, the truth of every matter in all of our lives is mm-hmm. that something can be done uh, about your situation, about where you're at. There's, and none of this, we've never at one point ever had to do this alone. Right, and, right. And that's right. a great relief, man. I've never had to walk through this thing alone. And, uh, Unless I want it. Huh, I don't know. Even even then, man, motherfuckers show up in my life. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I'm like, that's true. I'm like, leave me the fuck alone, that's and true. all of a sudden, there's a a cat in my lap, fucking purring or something. Yeah, I think I think that goes back to the to the to the power greater than myself. Could um, be. And the ultimate, you know, I posted something on Instagram earlier that that said. Uh, remember when you used to pray for the life that you have now. Mm-hmm. And I remember praying to whatever for a better way of life. And, uh, I think through our willingness to have a better way of life, there's, there's a lot of insurance against myself. I've seen that happen in real time 
where I've been in absolute darkness in sobriety where I'm living on self will and I've decided that none of this is worth it and I'm on my way out. It always starts with food. I'm on a bender right, and I'm fucking right. angry and mm-hmm. I'm I'm justified and I'm victimizing myself and everything's going on and all of a sudden there's a message that I need, a person that fucking pops up. There's it's a, true. There's yeah. a butterfly that flies across my window and whispers a, a message in my ear and all of a sudden like I'm reminded that you know whatever I'm going through today uh, this is the life that I hoped for. Mm-hmm. This is the life that I wanted. This is the state of mind that, that I didn't know could happen, but hoped could happen. And it brings me back around, you know, like, okay, I have, a, I have a job to do. My job here is to be the very best me possible, to eliminate as many unnecessary things in my life as I can so that I can be of maximum service to my fellows. Mm. Yeah. Great summary of, of what I'm here to do, right? Yeah. And by doing all those things, everybody around me benefits. Everybody. And and so, you know, I'm not going to be at the end of my life and look back and, and think that it's all going down the tubes. <laughs> I hope not, dude. <laughs> yeah, I hope yeah. not. I hope like, not. God, can you imagine? Like, I get to watch that in real time with my dad right now. He's kind of struggling with some decisions he's made, and we're just cleaning it up together and to be honest like if he didn't make those decisions i don't know that i get to spend the amount of time that i do with him and i fucking cherish it beyond belief man and and there's no amount of money that could replace the time that i get to spend with him right now and Mm -hmm. and sobriety has given me that uh the decisions that he's made throughout his entire life has given me that uh the people that i surround myself with allow me to do that because it could have been very easy for me to end up in a really controlling relationship where my spouse is one of those spouses that doesn't like my family mm. and fucking or you but, leave it on Sundays to yeah. film a podcast yeah it just causes me grief or whatever and that's not what my life is you know I have everywhere I go I'm supported mm-hmm. and and um, that's all stuff that I hoped for well, and it's all stuff that you've done intentionally as well, right? Like you have put yourself in a position where you only surround yourself with people who oh, absolutely who want what's best for you, absolutely, and, and who support you in that way, and and you support them, yeah, likewise, absolutely. That's a great point, you know, because if you're if you're a negative Nathan or. A, mm-hmm. a, what is a negative Nathan? Negative Nancy? Negative Nancy? Ne- negative Nelly? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't stick around too often. I'll tell you, I'm going to be over here on the positive grass. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and here's the reason why is like, I will start buying into your beliefs if I yeah. spend too much time around you. Yeah. Like I have got to surround myself with these people who believe positive things, who will call me when I'm thinking like you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and help me out of it. And I'll and you're more than welcome to join. Yeah, me. exactly. Like hey, when you're ready to be on over here, here I am. And I and P.S. I love you. Yeah. No matter what. And I and, yeah. and it's true, even if it doesn't seem like that, because you think I'm on a spiritual mountain or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's definitely not the case. the 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 reason that we do this stuff is and as crazy as this may sound is not because we think we're better than anybody else i talk to my sponsor about this all the time it's 
the reason that I work so hard on my life is because at a deep level, I think I'm worse than everybody else. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like you need to, you need the work. Like, like yeah. I need this yeah. work. Yeah. It, well, true that. I, 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 <laughs> I agree with that statement. I, I feel a lot of the same way, you know, like I, the reason, the reason I, I find it so necessary to surround myself with people like this is because I hate myself on some sort of level. And these people are going to help me navigate. Yeah. And if if I don't be around these people and do this work, I slip back into that self-hatred. Yep. That negative loop pattern. It's not long before I think, well, what's the use anyhow? Mm -hmm. Well, it's just like I always, you know, I know I've said it here. Um, but I'll say it in a meeting over and over again. It's like, I start believing my own bullshit if I go too long without, you know, hitting a meeting or, or talking to another alcoholic or, um, you know, just speaking with somebody who knows how it feels. Yeah. Like I start believing all that negative, (laughs) all that negative talk. Start turning all your blessings into bullshit. Yeah. 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 Fucking job that I wanted. Fucking house that I wanted. Fucking family. Bullshit complain all this stuff that i have this car we really are the lucky ones dude and 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 it all grew from a seed of hope yeah you know um which is why i think it's so important that that we have hope that we foster hope and that we maintain hope and then share hope yeah when when we've gotten what we want i think think that's the big thing is is share your hope Mm -hmm. share your hope experience that's our job now it, it really is mm-hmm. as, as best we can in every, every situation, share your hope. Absolutely. Um, that's a good, that's a good way to segue into Tim's story. Oh yeah. Tim, Tim did a good job of sharing his hope. Um, he does a really good job today, uh, being of service. Yeah. And, uh, and I know this is one of many podcasts that he has done to share his story and, and uh, we're just so honored and grateful to share it here. You guys are going to get a lot from it. So what do you say? Yeah, let's roll it. Let's get into it. This is Tim's War Story. This week's War Story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of hell. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what you're poisoning. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here is this week's horror story. My name's Tim Lodgen. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, this is my story. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a pretty normal family. Um, my mom actually was a professional bodybuilder. My father was a police officer. There was no drugs or alcohol in my home. Um, I think I've seen my mom drink a beer maybe five times in in my entire life. My father would have a drink every now and again at a family function or or holiday. So it wasn't prevalent in my home. There was no alcohol in the refrigerator. There was nothing on the shelves, um, no drugs. And um, I I played sports my entire life. I I was on a baseball team for eight years. I played football and, and around middle school. Uh, I picked up uh, skateboarding and I grew to it really quickly and became really good. I was sponsored by independent trucks, uh, Thrasher Magazine, a couple of local skate places down here. 
And um, I, I grew up with uh, Brandon Novak from Jackass, um, Bucky Lasik, and um, uh, a local guy named Matt Martin down here. I got to stay, skate with Rob Deerdick a couple times. So I, I was on, up in my way coming and, and skateboarding. Um, uh, around ninth grade, I, I started the box and I picked up uh, during the Olympics, the golden gloves and still no alcohol, no drugs. I, I was like, I don't want any part of it. It's not for me. And um, ninth grade, there was a freshman party, like welcome to high school party. I go and um, I try beer for the very first time and I got extremely sick. Um, I remember the next day I had a hangover, I was throwing up and my mom picked me up and she was like, you drank last night. And I was like, yeah, I did. And her punishment was uh, we were having a cookout. I had to shuck 50 ears of corn as my punishment for the guests to come. And she gave me a paper bag to throw up in and a paper bag to shuck the corn and get ready for the guests. I didn't touch alcohol again until my senior year. Now my senior year, I had already signed up for the Marine Corps. So I knew as soon as I graduated, I was going to boot camp the week after I graduated. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let some steam go. I'm gonna go to some parties, start hanging out, and um, went to some parties, started drinking beer, started smoking pot, started doing LSD. LSD led to mushrooms. Started smoking PCP. Um, I never really got into cocaine or heroin because honestly, where I grew up, it wasn't around. But I'm sure if it was. I would have done it because I was I was willing to try anything. As soon as I got a couple beers in me, man, I was off the races. If you had it, I was doing it, and I didn't care. I just wanted to I wanted to do it. And for me, I thought it was a phase because I was going in the Marines and I was just blowing off steam my senior year. Now I graduated high school and going to the Marines. The drugs stopped. I mean, obviously, I had I had to take piss tests. I had to do. Uh, you know, a bunch of different uh, tests, but my alcoholism skyrocketed. That's all we did in the Marines. We would train hard. And as soon as we were done at four o'clock, we left the base we went to the titty clubs, went to the bars and we drank until one, two o'clock in the morning, come back on base, get up three, four o'clock in the morning, go running, throwing up. And, 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 and as 18, 19, 20 year old young men, we saw our sergeants out at these bars doing the same damn thing. And the only thing they said was make sure you're up at three o'clock to go running. We don't care what you do. And it was kind of like a badge of honor. We're looking up to these guys in our thirties and we're like, well, this is what we do. We, 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 we train hard. We go out and we party hard and it's a kind of a badge of honor. So that went on for my three years in the Marine Corps. Um, I only did three years. I ended up uh, breaking my ankle three times. And on the third time, they told me I could no longer do my MOS. I was infantry. So um, they gave me the option to have the honorable discharge and get out one year earlier. I was supposed to do four years. So I got out on the third year. When I got home, the first month was great. I was like, man, I'm out in Marines. I can sleep in. I don't have to wear a certain uniform. I can eat what I want. Like, it was kind of really cool. The second month, kind of got the old shit factor man I'm, I'm 20 years old i gotta get a job i'm not in the military anymore i gotta get a vehicle i gotta get out of my mom's house like and, and reality started to kick in 
that third month of coming home, I found myself in an extremely deep depression. I had lost my identity. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going to go. And um, I found myself one day with my stepfather's gun in my lap. And I was contemplating using it because um, I, I, I was still drinking every day. That, not, that, didn't, that didn't stop just because I got out of the Marines. I was actually drinking more because now I was home. And uh, luckily, I had a girlfriend at the time. I called her and told her what I was doing. She came over and, and helped me put the gun up. And um, I told my mom I was extremely depressed. I did not tell her I had a gun in my lap. She would have had me committed at that point. But uh, we got to the doctors. They started to evaluate me and um, diagnosed me with bipolar one disorder. So they started giving me all this medicine. Now, I never told him I was drinking every day. I never told him I was smoking pot again. I never told him I was doing shrooms or, 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 still, or doing LSD or getting my hands on pain pills. I never told him any of that. So all the medicines that they were putting me on, they never fucking worked. Oh, that's not working. That's up the dosage. Oh, they aren't working. Let's give you two or three of these. And that was a complete cycle from my early 20s all the way up until my age of 44 till I got to rehab. I was up and down medicines, never could find out what was going on. I never was completely honest with the doctors telling them I have alcohol and drugs in my system. So what you're giving me is not going to work. So their only solution was, ah, well, we've tried these 20. Let's try these different 20 meds and let's up the dosage. Let's add three at a time. Let's try four at a time. They never could figure out why nothing was working. And all this time, I, I would go in and out of manic modes, up and down in depression. My, my alcoholism skyrocketed. I was drinking 12 to 18 beers a day. In my 30s, I lost a job again. I'm 46 now. I've had 44 jobs since being out of the Marine Corps at 20 years old. And it's all due to my bipolar, alcohol, and drug addiction. And to me, I thought that was just normal. You know, I'd go in, have a job for three to six months, and be like, yeah, screw it. I don't feel like going anymore. I'll just go get another job. And that was a cycle for 20 plus years. And to me, I just thought it was that's just me. I, I get bored easily. I like to try something else. But it was all due to my drug addiction, alcoholism, and bipolar disorder, and not being properly treated and not being sober. So um, in my 30s, I had this grand idea. You know, I, I missed sports. I missed competing. So I had off. I, I, wasn't, I didn't have a job. My wife was like, what are you going to do? I said, I really want, I, I want to do some MMA. I was like, you know, I boxed for three years. I was really good at that. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try it. She's like, okay. She's like, take the next year off, do some training, and I, when we have enough money, we can support each other. So I started training MMA. Um, got really good. I started fighting at casinos, uh, Atlantic City, Philadelphia, Baltimore. Fought on TV a couple times but I started to break my body down because of the MMA, the training that I went through. I had two neck surgeries, two hernia operations. I had tore all the ligaments in my arms. I had to have major surgery in my arms and the doctor started giving me pain medicine. Like they were like, they were fucking Tic Tacs. They didn't ask me, do you want to come off? 
they were just like, how, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm still in pain. Okay. Well, the tens aren't working. Let's get, let's give you twenties. Oh, the 20 perks aren't working. Let's give you some oxycodones. Okay. Well, oxycodones aren't working. Let's give you some Depakote or let's give you some morphine pills. That's you know, They never gave me an option of anything other than give me more pills or up the dosage. So for four years, I was taking pain medicine like they were Tic Tacs and drinking on top of it and smoking pot. And it got to the point where I actually got scared. I was like, man, this is how people die. I I'm taking 10, 15, 20 milligram Percocets a day and I'm drinking 12 beers a day. I'm going to fucking die in my sleep. Like it got, I got scared. And my brilliant addiction mind told me, well, if you're going to die, you might as well do it by your own hands. So I went in my bedroom one day and I opened up my pill bottle and I remember counting them. I had 18 Percocets in there. I took all 18 of them. I drank a 12 pack of beer and I laid in the bed and I said, please don't let me wake up because I can't stop taking these pills and I can't stop drinking. I woke up the next morning. I still don't know why I'm starting to figure it out now, but at that time I was like, I had no idea why I woke up, but it scared me so much that I went into the bathroom. I had another refill bottle. I took all 30 of them and I dumped them down the toilet. And I remember looking in the mirror and telling myself, I don't care how bad this gets. We're never doing pain medicine again. And for the next 10 days, I was so sick, probably the sickest I've ever been in my life. Insomnia, sweating, throwing up, going to the bathroom, nausea, I couldn't eat. And I remember just looking at myself in the mirror every single day saying, Tim, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. Look at yourself. Don't do this anymore. That was the last time I've taken any pain medicine. It's been almost eight years. I did that on my own. But my addiction took off with the alcohol because now I'm missing something. I didn't have that pain medicine in my body. So now I want, I want that same high. I want that same feeling that the pain medicine, the pot, and the alcohol gave to me. So I started drinking whiskey because I was like, well, this beer's not doing it. I, I need that instant, that, I want that hot, that, that warm blanket feeling that came over my body when I took that Percocet, when I took that opioid. So I switched to Fireball Whiskey. And uh, I remember I, I couldn't stop drinking. And I was like, you know, I'm going for a ride. And I got in my truck. And we have this beautiful reservoir down here and, and people go fishing and hiking and walk their dogs. And I get in my truck and I'm driving through the reservoir and, and I'm crying and I'm, and I'm banging on my, the roof of my truck and I'm hitting my steering wheel. And I'm like, why can't I stop? Why am I an addict? You know, why have I put everybody that I love through all this problems? You know, why have I lost all these jobs? Why can't I get my medicines together? And, and I get around to the bend where there's this tree and uh, my senior year of high school, my best friend lost control of his car and hit the tree and lost his life at the age of 18. So they have this little memorial at the tree. So I stop at the tree and I'm like, Bill, I'm like, man, I can't get my life together. I, was like, I stopped taking pain medicine, but my, my alcoholism is, is skyrocketed through the roof more than it's ever had in my life. I, I just need to know I'm, I'm not alone. You know, I, I don't, 
I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in anything. I was lost. And I was like, just please send me a sign that I'm not alone and I have a purpose in life. And I get back in my truck and I go to leave the park. And uh, instead of parking on the right-hand side where I'm driving out, I, I pull over on the left-hand side on oncoming traffic and I sit there and I'm crying. And about 10 minutes go by and this car pulls up. And I'm watching the man get out He's getting his dog and he's about to go over to the where, where the water is. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, holy shit. And I get out of my truck and I'm like, Mr. Bill, it was my best friend who passed away. It was his father, whom I hadn't seen since 1996, the day of my best friend's funeral. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, Timmy, what's wrong? And I'm crying and I, and I fall to the curb. I'm like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I can't get my life together. And he walks over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Timmy, I'm not even supposed to be here this morning. I'm supposed to be in South Carolina on a family vacation. My wife came to me in a dream last night and told me to come walk the dog at 10 a.m. this morning. And I, and I just looked at him and we started, we hugged and, we, and he told me everything was going to be okay. I get back in my truck. My addictive personality then tells me I'm going to be okay. I'm being watched. Nothing is going to happen to me now. So for the next four years, I drink the most alcohol that I've ever drank in my entire life. Because now my brain tells me I'm being watched and nothing is going to happen to me. So for the next four years, I drank whiskey every single day and I told myself not to buy the big bottles because then I would know exactly how much I was drinking so buy the miniatures so I'd buy a sleeve which is 10 miniatures and I'd finish that before one o'clock in the afternoon and then I'd get back in my truck and go get another 10. At the end of that four-year run I was drinking 25 to 30 miniatures a day and one day I took it out and I measured what a miniature was. It's two and a half shots. So two and a half times 25 to 30, I was drinking upwards of 60 to 70 shots of fireball whiskey every single day. And um, I had a brand new truck and, and I'm leaving the liquor store and I hit something. I still do not know what I hit. I have no idea, but I get home and I park my truck and I go in the house. I'm like, I hit something. I'm, I'm going to bed. And true alcoholic fashion, I wake up the next morning. I'm like, good morning. I'm going to go to the store and get some, get some water and, and some milk. And my wife's like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, in my brand new truck in the driveway. She's like, go look at your truck. So I go outside. My passenger tires hanging off the rim. Side mirror is completely gone. And she looks out the door and she goes, you have no idea what you hit last night, do you? I said, no, I don't. She said, Tim, you could have killed somebody. You could have killed yourself. You got to go. You can't stay here anymore. You got to go figure this out because I, I can't take it anymore. So I, I call AAA to come over to put my spare tire on. I call my buddy. I'm like, hey, man, my wife just kicked me out of the house. I need a place to stay for a couple of days because, you know, things need to blow over. But in a couple of days, she'll let me back in, you know. So I go to his house and uh, his bright idea was, well, man, you got kicked out. Might as well go to the bar and drink some drink and have a good time because you can't go home. I'm like, you know what, man? That sounds like a great idea. Let's go do that. 
So we get to the bar, we drink, do some shots, eat some food. And as I'm leaving the bar the very next day, I rear-end somebody at the fucking red light. And I get out and I'm looking at his truck and luckily he had one of those tow hitches on. So his truck wasn't damaged. The front of my bumper was, was V'd in, it was smashed in. And I get out, I'm like, are you okay, man? He's like, yeah, I'm okay. I said, your truck's okay, you're okay, I'm out. I smacked him on his back, I got my truck and I took off. I knew I, I was gonna go to jail, I was drunk. Get back to my buddy's house and I'm like, man, I can't stay here. I, I, I gotta go figure this shit out, man. So I leave his house. Stop at the liquor store, get myself 10 more miniatures, and I go sit in a park and ride. And um, I turn off my phone, 48 hours, turn it off completely. I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to hear nobody. I, I just wanted to wallow in my sorrows and, and play the blame game and beat myself up and listen to sad-ass music and drink. So for 48 hours, I drank and passed out and drank and passed out. Friday, March 5th, 2021, I turned my phone on at 7 after 10 in the morning. At 9 after 10, two minutes after having my phone off for 48 hours, my childhood friend, Brandon Novak, is on the other line. And he's like, Lodging, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, I'm in my truck, man. I'm, I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm drunk. And he says, good, motherfucker, that's what you need. I just got off the phone with your wife and your mom. I have a plane ticket ready for you this evening at 8 o'clock. You're going to go down to Banyan Treatment Centers in West Palm Beach, Florida, and you're going to go get the help. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I don't know. He said, Tim, I promise you, everything that you've lost will get back 10 times fold. Just get on that plane. I love you. Please get on the plane. And he hangs up. And I'm sitting there in the truck. 15 minutes goes by, my wife calls. She's like, hey, I just got off the phone with Brandon. Can you please come home, take a shower, pack your bags, try to eat something and take a little nap because I had about four or five hours before the plane took off. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I get home, I shower. I couldn't eat, man. My, my, I was having panic attacks, anxiety attacks. Now I got to go to fucking rehab in Florida. And, and my mind's racing and uh, I sit on the edge of my bed and my addiction takes my hand and walks me to the basement of my home and throws a rope around my neck and stands me on a bucket and tells me to end all the pain. And about three minutes go by and my wife realizes I'm out in my bed. And she comes down the steps in the basement and sees me in the corner of the basement, standing on a bucket with a rope around my neck, hysterically crying. And she says, well, what are you doing? And I said, I, I, I can't do it. I, I just want the pain to stop. And she says, Tim, do you know what this would do to your children? Please get down. Go get help. Everything is going to be okay. Just please get down. So I, I get down and I, I fall to the floor and I'm crying for about 10 minutes and I get up and I go upstairs and I call Brandon. I'm like, hey, man, I got to go. I said, if I don't go, this disease is going to kill me and, and, and I, I, I got to go. I need help. And all he says is, I'm proud of you. I love you. Call me when you pay a security because I don't want you to get to the airport and catch a cab and, and take off. I want to make sure you're getting on the plane. So 
My mom drives me to the airport. I get to the airport, get past security. I'm like, hey, man, I'm here. And he says, all, all again, all he says is, I'm proud of you. I love you. And he hangs up the phone. As I go to sit in the seat, waiting for them to call to board the plane, as I sit down, I get this overwhelming feeling of hope that comes over my entire body. It was the most amazing feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. It went through my whole body, all my doubt, worry, panic, anxiety, everything went away. And something in my head said, everything's gonna be all right. I'll never forget that feeling for the rest of my life. Something happened to me in that airport. And for me not to acknowledge that at that time in my life, what a, what a, what a damn shame. What a damn shame. I got the rehab. I didn't miss any classes. I did all the homework that they asked me to do. I went to extra meetings for military and first responders. I spoke. I shared my story. I went addictive mode into recovery. 100% both feet in because I knew at this point in my life, I had no more options because if you give me an option, I'm taking the, I'm, I'm taking the, the last option. I'm not going to take the option that's going to save my life. So for me in rehab, I made the choice that my only option now is to live my life is to be grateful for everything that I've been given. I did 32 days in treatment. I came home, I did 98 meetings in 90 days, not 90. Um, I spoke, I got a sponsor and I got back into the gym. I changed my diet. I started reading daily, daily like reflections just on, on how to look at the world differently. My, my, my perception when everything completely changed I stopped looking at, man, I got to go to work. I got to go to the gym. I got to do this too. I get to go to the gym. I get to go to work. I get to put food on my table to take care of my children. I changed my perspective, which changed my outcome of my life. Today, I, I go to three meetings a week still. I stay connected with my sobriety and my recovery. I stay grounded. I read every day something about recovery. I exercise six days out of the week. I completely change my diet to, I don't eat anything processed. I eat all good food. I, I don't drink my calories. I, I try not to, like we were taught, I try not to have sugar as much. I do have a little bit, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it hundred percent. You know what I mean? I, I lost hope. And it almost cost me my life two times. I've gotten back everything that my friend said I would get back times 10. When I first got home, I have three daughters, 24, 14, and 11. My 24-year-old didn't talk to me when I first got home. And every, every couple of weeks, I'd ask my wife, why isn't she talking to me? Why isn't she talking to me? Tim, you drank for 27 years. Your daughter's 24. She's seen the best and the worst of her father. Give it time. Do what you need to do, and, and eventually she'll come around. Nine months later, after being sober, 
going to meetings, changing my perspective, being a different human being. I get a, I open my text messages one day and it's from my daughter. And she says, dad, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. Thank you for giving me the time to heal because I know you were healing as well. I love you and I just want you to know I'm very proud of you. That was one of the biggest gifts of sobriety that I got my first year. When I used to come home, the house would scatter like roaches with the lights come on. They didn't know what dad was walking in the front door. Now I come home, we eat dinner together, we watch movies, we laugh, we joke. You couldn't have told me in rehab that I would get so much out of becoming a recovered addict and alcoholic. I would have told you there's no way, you're lying. There's no way life could be that good. And I, 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 I didn't believe I could live my life without some type of substance. Like how, how could you be happy without having something? I am the happiest that I've ever been in my entire life and I'm 46, 46 years old now. I just turned 46 two, months, two weeks ago. I'm the healthiest I've ever been. I'm the happiest, I'm the most grateful I've ever been. It's been amazing to find myself again, to be able to look in the mirror and actually love the person I see looking back. I'm proud of myself. Um, the opportunities that keep coming to me, they're amazing. You know, these podcasts that I get to go on and share my story of strength, hope, and courage to those who need to hear it is a gift that I'm not going to waste. You know, for a very long time, I didn't know my purpose. I was extremely lost. I now know that my 27-year journey was to have the experience to be able to share my story to those still suffering in hopes that they know that they're not alone. Their pain is not theirs. There's others out there that suffer. They can recover and they can live the life they've always wanted. Is it going to be easy? No, man, it's not, it's not easy. It, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say it's all fucking sunshines and rainbows because it's not. But when you want something bad enough, you do whatever you have to do to get it. We did it in our addiction. Why wouldn't you want to do that for your sobriety? I wouldn't change anything. I really wouldn't. I, 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 I'm thankful that I was an addict because it has opened up my perspective on life completely different. I look at everything completely different. Um, I'm grateful to get up in the morning every morning. I'm grateful that my family, I still have my family. I'm grateful that I still have my job. I'm grateful that I get to see, I, I have a grandson. I'm grateful that my grandson will have a pop pop around that he can look up to, that I can, I, I can be a role model to. You know, my daughter the other day texted me again and, and she randomly texts me now to tell me how proud she is of me. And she said, dad, when I used to see 
daughters with their fathers. I used to cry because we never had that relationship, but now we do. You're there when I call you, you come over to help me at my house and you're a great grandfather to my son. I couldn't ask for anything else. Man, I used to be the guy that to say, why don't I have this? Why can't I have that? I have everything that I need in life. I'm healthy, I'm happy. I have a beautiful family that loves me and cares about me. And when I gave up on myself, they didn't give up on me. I'm, I'm truly a blessed person. And um, I just want people to know that it's, it's never too late to turn that page in your story and start a new chapter in your life. There's no age limit. There's no time limit. It took me 27 years. But that's me and that's my story. Some people a year or two, everybody's story is different. For me, it was 27. And I, and I, I now know that, that that's what I had to go through for me to finally get it. And I want people to know that the help is out there. Don't be ashamed of your addiction. Don't be ashamed of your mental illness. Ask for help. You are loved. People want you to be around and, and go get it. Go get, go get your life back because it's so worth it. It's, it's worth more than I ever could imagine. And, and I'm truly, I'm truly grateful. Um, thank you so much for having me on here, man. And I hope that my message today reaches at least one person that, that, that I can connect with that, Maybe in that dark, hopeless feeling that I was a couple of times in my life where I didn't want to live. The pain was too much. And I never, ever imagined I could get, I could get clean and sober. And, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm 15 months, three weeks sober. I'm on the proper medicines for my bipolar. Uh, I, I'm somebody that I never thought I could ever be. I'm training to become for a bodybuilding show in November, which is something I've always wanted to do my entire life as a small child. And um, I'm, I'm mentally focused. I couldn't tell you the last time I was mentally focused, probably 18 when I was in the Marines, but even then I was drinking alcohol. So was I really as focused as I thought I was? But now I know that, you know, Alcohol promised everything to me. It took everything from me. And I'm coming for everything. I'm coming for it all. Is that it? I'm done. I'm done, man. You want uh you want to plug your Instagram? Yeah, if uh if, if anybody has any questions. If anybody feels if they need to reach out, you can you can contact me on Instagram at T L O D G E N at T Lodgen. My my messages are always open. I'll I'll try to help you as much as I can. And um feel free to take a look at my page. I have my my fitness journey on there, my podcast that I've been on. I try to post a lot of motivational and uplifting things to people in recovery and sobriety and in the fitness world so um big things are coming and uh each month 
new opportunities come towards me and I'm just, I'm so open to everything that's happening. And I welcome anybody to, to DM me and message me and ask me any questions that they need to ask me. Well, there you have it. Yeah. That was Tim's story. Quite, man. quite a turnaround, man. Yeah. Quite a turnaround. It, it, and a long time coming, you know? Right. I mean, and it goes to show you, not that he was like super old, not that he is super old, but um, you know, it's never too late. No, it's not. I mean, even, you know, with a broke, you know, as, as, as hard as he ran his body to the ground mm-hmm. and, and it, it's also a, a demonstration, you know, what do you say? 44 jobs and 40, well, since he was in the, in the military yeah. and like he could still drink like, like we are resourceful oh, yeah. as people as, oh, yeah. as you know, um, I don't know what, I don't know what a mini bottle costs there, but. I mean, if you're drinking 60 shots a day, that's not, it's not, not pocket change. It's not cheap. I mean, we are, ex- we, we are expensive consumers. Yeah. It's funny how we always had money for that. Like I always had money for cigarettes and I always had money for booze. Yeah. No matter how bad it got. Right. Yeah. Like I always had money for that. And stuff. now, and now it's like, I always have money for a place to live mm-hmm. and I always have money for gas and I always, yeah. It, it, it's like there there was always enough for whatever direction our lives we wanted to take it which is just a demonstration of we really do get to decide what we want yeah um tim tim decided that you know he was gonna give it a shot mm-hmm. one more time he tried to do it on his own he tried to go fucking like so many of us go to go to a therapist that go and lie man i'm just feeling all this yeah. anxiety yeah yeah. And, yeah, like I, I, I think you know from his story, it sounded like he, he was, re- he really does have bipolar one. However, he was not sharing full disclosure about all the chemicals he was putting in, like his body. so many of us do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember like going to a therapist and just lying. It's like, what, what the fuck am I here for? <laughs> I mean, if I'm just gonna come in here and lie, like you're gonna, and that's the thing is like it's because we're just so into our our own bullshit. Like, yeah. Like I didn't see anything wrong with completely lying. Completely afraid therapist. of being exposed. Yeah. Yeah. You but don't want change. I mean, the, the, the best part about his story is this moment he had, you know, like it took a lot, it took a lot for him to get to a point where he was willing to hear, you know, what his friend was telling him, what Brandon was telling him. And he was willing to, to just do the next right action. Right. Yeah. And then finally he gets to the airport and I love that moment that he talks about, right? Like just having this overwhelming sense of hope. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like this, maybe this can happen Yeah. because it's so hard to see, like, how is life going to be? Like if I quit doing this, like, I don't know what my life looks like if I'm not doing this. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. And even though like life is chaos and life is hell, I don't know how I can't even fathom like what it looks like to not be this way. And so those moments that we get, you know, in this, in this instance, he's at an airport about to enter a treatment facility, which is a scary time is a really fucking scary (laughs) time, you know? Um, and to really be there and have just that hope. Yeah. Maybe it can happen. Yeah. It's just, very very cool to hear yeah, him talk about very and, cool and such a good reminder of of um the process mm-hmm. 
because it is it's all a process it really is man and and who knows what would have happened if he would have gotten sober after he talked to mr bill or Mm -hmm. whatever i think Mm -hmm. uh that 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 rock bottom uh whatever that looks like for people some people say they have a high bottom some people say they have a low bottom bottom is bottom yep. and it and it takes what it takes and had he not gone gone through those next four years of uh Im, imp, impunity immunity from destruction while drinking the belief that now that he's being watched over right i can just right go fucking ham skate, on this yeah. stuff and uh it, it it kind of proved to be true right four years four years of it and the, the those little signs it's so miraculous to me the more i'm open to uh that that those things like like the more that i'm open to his experience being truly a miraculous thing mm-hmm. a, a sign mm-hmm. from a power that's greater a creative intelligence that can think and do that kind of shit you know the more i'm willing to hear it the more that i see those kind of things right and so I think it's pretty cool that he was able to say that prayer, talk to his high school friend, and then all of a sudden here's this sign that he's not alone. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And and those things happen over and over and over. And, and, and for anybody that's listening, like I, think about those. Like like what are some of those experiences in your own life? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what are some things that have happened that you might be able to call like a, a miraculous moment or a sign or a prayer answered or the the correct direction because uh we have those Mm -hmm. and i think all those things are what give us hope for something better that this can get better we see these things and we live these things and then we share these things and that creates uh, an entire line of hope from one person to the next Mm -hmm. and hope is contagious man yeah yeah um very good point right there at the end there hope hope is contagious and and uh, if I have hope, you 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 know, like maybe you'll you, you can, can have some borrow it. Yeah. Um, until until sit you under the shade of my hope tree, eat some of my hope fruit, get some of my hope seeds. That sounds like a sublime song. Right? <laughs> Be cool. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Well, uh, great story, man. Yeah, thank Just you, Tim. Thank you so much You're for sharing savage. that, Tim. That was awesome. Savage, um, but good, good deal, good yeah. show. Cameron, thank you, man. I hope that... Uh, Dang it, I was going to say I hope something. <laughs> you beat me to it. Well, what do you hope? Man, I, I hope we can keep doing what we're doing and that uh, I can continue to stay out of the way of what's best for me. Yeah. I know. If I'm if I'm out of the way of what's best for me, then uh, I'm able to stay out of the way of what's best for you as well. And mm. That just kind of trickles down to all the people that I love and then the people that I don't know, my community, and then, you know, my neighborhood, my city, my state, my country, like, and, you know, what I do matters. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I hope I can get some chicken nuggets later, <laughs> but <laughs> I hope you can get some chicken nuggets too, especially if that's what you need. <laughs> no, man. Um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm super grateful to be here and, and, uh, I, I love that we, that we're able to do this and I love that we're able to interact with so many people and, and continuing to do this show the way that we do and and getting together with you and Jordan um, is just such a huge part of, of my recovery and, and uh, I feel very blessed and honored that we get to do it. Yeah, so, for sure. We're the lucky ones. That's right. 
So thanks, guys. Thanks, J Town. We're gonna maybe uh, split. Yeah, let's get out of here. Take a little break. A little breather. Yeah, get out. Let's get out of here. All right, guys. Remember, with that, you are worth the work. And we'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.